Welcome Love to Radio. I hate when that happens. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio. We had a little bit of a hiccup once again with our audio. It seems Blog Talk Radio has a very perverse sense of humor. Just when they say your your show will start in five seconds, in one second, and then you start talking, ten seconds later, they say Blog Talk Radio. So I apologize, everybody. So anyway, welcome to Progressive News Network this week. Uh, I'm your host, Janine Moloff, and I'm based, again, filling in for Brooke Hines. I normally do the Justice Report. And this week, we have a couple of topics that we're going to be talking about. So uh, let's just get into it. Um, First, we're going to be talking about the Texas law that essentially outlaws abortion rights and the Florida GOP plan to do the same. The irony is just too strong to ignore. While states like Texas and Florida scream right to life for what is essentially an undeveloped zygote, both laws, both states have feverishly worked to deny that same right to life to anyone who wants some reasonable mitigation precautions during this COVID pandemic. Both states, Florida and Texas, and also my home state, Missouri, ironically have denied that the idea of right to life extends to actual living children by fighting mask and vaccine mandates in the middle of this deadly pandemic or in the middle of the Delta variant. So that's the first story. The second story will cover the actual authors of these anti-mask, anti-vaccine mandates. And there's several different groups, really, that all trace back to money from the Bradley Foundation and the um, Koch Industries Foundation. But the recipient is, for the most part, this bill mill that's known by the acronym of ALEC. That's the American Legislative Exchange Council. So, and if you notice, there's a strange similarity between all these COVID denialists and, cl- and climate change denial bills. There's no coincidence. All right. The genesis of these anti-science bills is Alex. So, and, and these two stories really are just two entwined, the abortion story and then the, um, the genesis of these anti-mask, anti-vaccine anti-public health edicts, if you will. It's not a coincidence. Um, So we have this first story, and we're just going to kind of get into it. All right. So from Mother Jones, uh, there was an article written by Becca Andrews, and it was just this past week, and the headline is, Florida lawmakers pledged to pass abortion ban following Texas model. So it's already happening. So the Supreme Court... Um, basically refused to to really hear the merits of a Texas case which limits abortion to the first six weeks of a, a possible pregnancy, far, far before the time that most women know they might be pregnant. The Florida Senate president, uh, somebody named Wilton Simpson, said the state Republicans are already, quote, working on an abortion ban that they're going to present in the 2022 legislative session. 
Now, the local news reports, and that includes in Florida, Tampa Bay, um, Tampa Bay News, that the one leading the charge in Florida is a GOP rep named Anthony Sabatini, and he's working tirelessly to strip women of their reproductive rights. Okay, make no mistake about it, this anti-abortion decision has really very little to do with pro-life anything. It's about controlling women and it's about punishing women who have the audacity to have a sex life outside of marriage and outside of strictly procreation, procreative purposes. And that's it. This is religious fundamentalism on steroids, nothing more. So we know the Texas law bans abortion after six weeks, but it's, as you've learned recently, it's far worse than that. The Texas law quote, allows any private citizen to sue both the abortion providers and anyone who aids and abets patients. So this is what we're dealing with here, and I believe the Texas, uh, the Texas law also provides for a $10,000 bounty. Basically, if you have your average white supremacist who also hates women, maybe a white supremacist incel, I don't know, um, and for those of you who don't realize what that is, an incel is somebody who's involuntarily celibate. Um, and they're involuntarily celibate because basically they have all the personality and charm of paste. That's my opinion. But anyway, um, it allows any white, any incel, any ignorant jerk to basically spy on a woman and report her, and then collect a $10,000 bounty. And where is this bounty coming from? Has anybody really thought about this one? Guarantee it's coming from tax, from tax coffers. You know, I don't live in Texas or Florida, but I would be really angry if my tax dollar went to pay for some narc to hunt down women who have the gall to want to have control over their own reproductive lives. Okay, but that's what they did. And this isn't conservatism, okay? This is religious fascism on parade, nothing more. Excuse me. Robin Marty is the director of operations at the West Alabama Women's Center, and this is based, this is the Mother Jones article. And Robin Marty was quoted as saying the following, quote, I sit in Alabama terrified that we're next because that makes sense. Um, like, Maybe Florida will stay intact. I really hope so, because that's all we've got. And when Florida's all you got, you got problems, end quote. And it's true. Okay? And the thing about this abortion law is that wealthy women will be able to fly out of state and get an abortion. This won't stop abortions. It never does. But low-income women, women that are being abused by their partners, little girls that maybe are being raped by a family member, they will have no protection, none. This law is a rapist delight, just is. You know, and there's been a lot of jokes comparing Texas to the Taliban. Um, I would say Texas, Florida, Missouri. Yes, this is a Christian Taliban. And they're way out of line. Okay. So that's from Mother Jones. Now, we also have 
a piece by David Badash. And this was in the New Civil Rights Movement. And it's entitled, uh, Florida Republicans Already Working to Pass Abortion Ban Just Like the Unconstitutional One in Texas. Keep in mind, the abortion ban that they just passed in Texas is unconstitutional. When the Supreme Court said they weren't going to really do anything about it, they never said the Texas law was constitutional. They just refused to do anything. They just let it stand. Nothing more. Uh, recently, I think it was on Meet the Press today, former U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill explained that that law basically allows anybody who has a gripe against you know, social norms to suddenly have standing in court where they normally wouldn't have. Standing is basically saying that you have a right to sue, that you can prove that you've suffered some sort of damage directly, therefore you have a right to sue for some sort of reparation. The Texas law allows any, any bigoted jerk to have standing where they shouldn't. And forget the fact that also this challenges Roe v. Wade, which is accepted legal precedent and has been since 1973. By the way, people are convinced that Roe v. Wade is an abortion decision. In actuality, it wasn't. And especially a lot of men that think this is a woman's thing, they don't care. They're, especially those that care about right to privacy, they're being very foolish. Because what Roe v. Wade essentially did was build on the idea that built into the Constitution, we have a constitutional right to privacy between medical providers and the patient um, at home and so on and so forth. If Roe v. Wade were ever overturned, all the constitutional provisions about a right to privacy would be next. It would set the stage for a more severe police state. Think about it for a minute, people. Roe v. Wade, it was not an abortion decision. Abortion, people seeking abortion happened to benefit from it, but that's not what it was. And the same with the case before it, Griswold v. Connecticut, which allowed women access to birth control. This is built on the right to privacy. So what happens when that right to privacy is suddenly uh, disintegrated? Folks, hopefully I won't lose the connection. I am just going in the other room for a second. I know this sounds unprofessional, and I apologize, but... I wasn't watching the time, and when I saw that it was time to go on air, I didn't have my water. And asthma calls. All right, so we're back here now. So I want people to understand what this, what Roe v. Wade really does. It's more than an abortion decision. It's a right to privacy. Overturn Roe v. Wade at everybody's peril. That's what it's about. You have to ask yourself why so many big money right-wing interests want to overturn Roe v. Wade. It isn't because they care about, about children or any or right to life. It has nothing to do with that. It's about allowing people in power to control every aspect of our lives because we would have no right to privacy. It's my theory. 
I stand by it. Let's go to this piece on um, from the New Civil Rights Movement by David Badash. So Governor DeSantis has already promised he's going to support and pass legislation that's, you know, cookie cutter to the Texas abortion law. No shock there. We know that President Biden attacked the Texas law this past Thursday, um, and he attacked the Supreme Court for allowing it to stand. Again, this is another argument, as a little aside, another argument for the fact that Biden and the Congress must enlarge the Supreme Court. You can call it cart you can call it court packing, I don't care. But there's no magic number. There's no magic behind the number nine. The Supreme Court, what used to be, have only six justices. Then it went to, I think, nine justices, then ten, and then back to nine. And when you look at the Constitution, there's really nothing in it except mention of the judiciary that really speaks to a Supreme Court at all. I mean, let's face it, the Supreme Court, the, the first chief justice, basically took power in that for one of those first cases, Marbury v. Madison. That's it. The Supreme Court created itself. And the only way we can negate the religious fundamentalists that are in the court from establishing what can only be called a theocratic dictatorship is by attacking the court and nullifying their essential power. We have to do it. And we have to do it soon. That's it. But back to this. So we know that DeSantis wants a cookie-cutter law just like the one in Texas. We know Representative Anthony Sabatini um, is all for it. You know, Sabatini, for those of you who aren't sure, he's on the far right. He's a gun extremist. Um, he's also running to unseat uh, U.S. Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy, who's a Democrat. Uh, Sabatini claims he has a what he calls quote a heartbeat bill ready to go and that is based on the Texas law that again offers a $10,000 bounty on women waiting to get an abort wanting to get an abortion now keep in mind when you look at this $10,000 bounty who where's that money coming from I, I thought GOPers were fiscal conservatives I thought they would be guardians of the taxpayer dollar, you know that $10,000 award, reward, bounty, whatever you want to call it, is coming from the taxpayers. We don't have money for our schools. We don't have money for proper health care for everybody, but we have money to pay bounty hunters. And that's what it's about. So here's a quote from Sabatini um, he, to quote him. This is. Um, what he told a local ABC affiliate, WTXL, quote, it's time to start saving the lives of innocent unborn children in Florida. He went on to say, for three years, I have been the co-sponsor of the heartbeat bill, fighting the radical left and the weak Republican establishment to get this bill passed. The rhinos in Tallahassee have stopped progress every step of the way. It's time to put them on the record and ensure a vote of the House immediately. End quote. Okay, so what I have to say to Mr. Sabatini is, as a member of the radical left myself, this isn't about saving anyone's life. 
you know, this is really about controlling women and punishing them. The truth is, statistically, we know worldwide, through the World Health Organization, we know that um, the nations who have the lowest abortion rate, that have abortion rates that are practically zero, with the only exception being to save a woman's life, are the very nations that have full and easy and affordable access to all different kinds of birth control. You want to end abortion except for medical necessity? Then make sure that every woman, every woman has easy access and affordable access to a full range of birth control. That's it. That's all there is to it. And, and the other thing with Mr. Sabatini is what about the role of the, of, of the sperm donor? Who, who's going to hunt them down? Who's going to hunt those sperm donors down? I won't call them men. They're sperm donors. And, and get a bounty on their heads. Oh, that's not going to happen. But that should happen. Who's going to charge those sperm donors? Okay? Criminally. So, you know, we called um, Sabatini's office and left a message, and I invited him onto the show. He's not going to show, but he's welcome. I mean, I'll be happy to debate him. But, again, this Sabatini's quote is really kind of ridiculous, but then this is the same GOP that pushes laws denying the right to a mask mandate. Okay, apparently Mr. Sabatini, author of the heartbeat bill, is so worried about a zygote, and he sees that apparently a zygote, which is a collection of cells, has has a right to life, but living children don't. Okay, but there's more to Sabatini's history. Okay, apparently um, he looks like he has a history that shows some racist tendency, shall we say. Um, he, according to this article, he has a history of engaging in blackface. He's proposed legislation attacking transgender people. And he wants college students to be able to conceal carry firearms because we know 19-year-olds are so emotionally stable. I'm being sarcastic. And I don't mean to disparage 19-year-olds, but let's face it, you're very passionate at that age. I don't know if I'd trust y'all with a weapon. Uh, and I'm not making light of this, but the stupidity that I see coming from the far right is it, just, it's beyond the pale. I mean, you could either scream at them or you could laugh. And, and you know, I'm choosing to laugh right now. Okay. And Sabatini apparently has the support of Florida Senate President Wilton Simpson. Um, President Simpson told WFLA Channel 8, quote, there is no question the Florida legislature will consider an abortion heartbeat bill like Texas in this upcoming session. It's something we're already working on, end quote. Simpson also told WTXL that it was encouraging that considering the Supreme Court didn't didn't interfere or block the Texas law. And he calls it a, quote, new approach, end quote, to banning abortion. And DeSantis, you know, said, you know, he'll support that law. So Vanity Fair did a piece also entitled Florida is already cooking up a Texas-style abortion ban, written by Eric Lutz. This was uh, published, looks like, two days ago. Um, The real danger, you know, when this Texas law got to the Supreme Court, the court ruled 
okay, that they, they ruled that basically they were going to allow this Texas law to stand. And it was a five to four decision, but the, according to Vanity Fair, according to Lutz, the broader danger is that, quote, it opens the door for other red states to impose their own draconian anti-choice laws, end quote. Um, tech, in Texas, a former acting solicitor general, someone named Neil Katyal, uh, told Charlotte Klein that this was, quote, a gruesome blueprint, end quote. And it is, okay? This isn't merely an attack on abortion rights. This is an attack on birth control and reproductive rights across the board. And the fact is, do you really want every woman who becomes pregnant to have to worry that she might face criminal charges, for instance, the minute something goes wrong with a pregnancy? You know, sometimes you can do everything right and then something still goes wrong. We shouldn't be criminalizing birth control, criminalizing abortion, or criminalizing pregnancy itself. All right? We just shouldn't. Women at this day and age shouldn't have to die in childbirth either. And yet they are. So once again, when you look at these far-right people, this isn't about being pro-life. And especially coming from the ranks of white Christians. This is about growing armies. This is about punishing women. That's all there is to it. You know, I don't care if somebody wants to be a religious conservative. That's their own business. Be religious conservative, but don't you dare force it on me. As a religious minority myself, I'm a Reformed Jew. I deeply resent the constant proselytizing by the Christian right. It's insulting. And I grew up having to put up with the constant microaggressions. Now we have a word for it. Back then we didn't. Um, the minimizing of other religions. And, and, and by the way, for all these religious right-wingers, Bible doesn't say anything against abortion. In fact, the Bible says, and I'm talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it becomes a living person when it takes its first breath. That means after birth. So all this nonsense is just that nonsense. There's nothing in the Bible that says anything more about it. Just isn't. In fact, the, the idea against abortions really came from a Roman emperor that wanted to, ironically, grow armies. So I'm a little off topic here, but that's what this is about. And I know on Facebook I made some jokes, but I'm not really joking. I mean, maybe we just need to take a page from Lysistrata, and the women of Florida and Texas need to tell their men, you want this law? Fine. No sex until this law is gone and women have full reproductive rights. Okay? That's it. And I would encourage a lot of big businesses, a lot of women that want their reproductive rights respected, to contact these big businesses, whether it is um, AT&T, whatever it is based in Florida, based in Texas, and let them know, let their PR departments know, we're going to be boycotting you. We're going to be buying you a lot of bad publicity until you put some pressure on these right-wingers because this law cannot stand. It just can't. You know, my own mother 
back in the day. I was born in 59. My own mother had what was called a DNC back in the day, which is an abortion. And it was a wanted pregnancy. She lost her mother in childbirth. She was eight years old, expecting a brother or sister, and the next time she saw her mother was in her mother's casket at the funeral. And my mother had difficulties, too. I would have had an older sister, apparently. It was at a point where she, even though they had a C-section, she was going to bleed to death on the table unless they did a DNC. And the doctor said that the fetus was dead in utero. So her chances of dying from sepsis were great. He still had to file for permission in Missouri, at Jefferson City, the Missouri capital, to save her life. Had he not been able to do the DNC, neither I nor my brother, she would have died, neither I nor my brother would have been born. So all these right-wingers saying that, that I don't have a right to live? I mean, it's never that simplistic. I'm getting tired of this nonsense. Not to mention the fact that this issue is important to women, but it's also a smokescreen against all the other crimes of the GOP and, yes, some corporate Democrats, people you need to wake up. But once again, this is what's happening. Uh, Keep in mind, the Supreme Court, when they issued their decision, they just let the Texas law take effect. It wasn't a ruling on the law's merits at all. And the restrictions in the Texas law could be struck down if they're found to violate tech, the constitutional rights of Texans. Now, and the same for Florida as well, you, you have to remember that, and Senator McCaskill was right, this law, because of the bounty issue as well, this and anybody's right to make a complaint, this law basically gives people who normally would not have standing in court, basically standing in court, gives them a right to sue when they shouldn't have a right to sue because it didn't involve them at all. It didn't damage them in any way, but it it allows radical conservatives the right to basically attack anybody using the courts as a weapon to, to promote their their social cultural war because these are people that hate modernity. That's it. And again, maybe some of these these far right conservatives they need to go. Maybe they need the ones who need to go to Afghanistan. Okay. So that's what's happening there. Now let's get to the main story here. All right. So we're now we're getting to this week's justice report, and there's a connection between all these anti-science, anti-civil rights for anyone except white Christian males, and it's a little-known bill mill called ALEC, or the American Legislative Exchange Council. That's the acronym. And ALEC is run by two lead attorneys, namely Mark Behrens and Victor Schwartz, at the law firm of Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. Now, basically, ALEC provides what's a legislative cheat sheet for pro-corporate legislation all over the United States. And this is the reason why most anti-science pro-corporate legislation looks basically identical from state to state. It's not because these GOP legislators and governors and attorney generals are all of one mindset. No, they're using Alex prefabricated 
litigation crib notes. You know what crib notes are. You know, that's what kids used to cheat on tests back in the day before they could actually use their phones to cheat, all right? And Alec provides these, these, um, these model bills, if you will, and they present them at their different conferences, and they're model bills, and they pass them out like popcorn to Republicans, uh, practically no Democrats. I think the one exception is, guess who? Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin was a member of Alec. That should tell you something about him. Um, but they, all these legislators have to do is just put their name in the model bill and fill in the blanks on the little cheat sheet. That's it. And, oh, yeah, who funds Alec? Well, it turns out the majority of the funding comes from um, foundations through Coke Industries. My, oh, my, isn't that interesting? So the next report deals with multiple states run by the GOP that are passing laws which actively threaten public health in the middle of a pandemic. All right, these laws that are banning mask mandates, banning a vaccine passport, um, banning the right to even ask somebody's vaccination status, okay? These are all potential laws, bills, if you will, that collectively threaten our public health. And the lawyers of Alec should be held legally and criminally accountable. So let's go to the first story from MedPage. This is a piece written by the Washington editor of MedPage, Joyce Frieden. Um, and it was, it was published just this past June of 21. The headline is, States are passing laws that threaten public health report fines. Laws, quote, put wide swaths of the public at risk, end quote, Nacho says. Now, Nacho is the acronym for the National Association of County and City Health Officials. And there was, they issued a report, and you can find that on www.nacho.org, N-A-C-C-H-O. Here is a quote from the report. Quote, in recent months, at least 15 state legislatures have passed or are considering measures to limit severely the legal authority of public health agencies and other states may consider such legislation in the future, hindering the ability of health departments to do their jobs and putting wide swaths of the public at risk, end quote. And this was a, a statement that Nacho issued um, like in late May. Now, they also cite examples of the laws that are cited in the report. We may have a little bit of repetition in this report, and I apologize. But here are some of the examples. Pro quote, prohibiting requiring masks in any situation, including act cases of active tuberculosis. I'm going to say that one again. Examples of the laws cited in this report that are basically being pushed throughout the United States by the GOP and by, yes, the GOP using model bills from ALEC. Number one, laws, quote, prohibiting requiring masks in any situation, including cases of active tuberculosis. So apparently in North Dakota, there's a new law that would remove the authority of the state health office to require a face mask or, or covering. Two, 
laws blocking the closure of businesses necessary to prevent the spread of disease, allowing for super spreader venues. Okay, Kansas, there's a new law that takes away the governor's ability to close businesses during any sort of public health emergency. Three, laws banning the use of quarantine. So in Montana, there's a new law. It prohibits the local board of health emergency orders. I'm just reading straight from this, from separating those individuals who are not yet ill, but are reasonably believed to be infected or exposed. Prohibition of quarantine orders undermine, oh, let me read it again. Prohibition of quarantine orders undermines the basis of infection control and would make it impossible to stop outbreaks of deadly diseases that are spread by individuals who are not yet symptomatic. And we know that with COVID, you can be a carrier and be asymptomatic, showing no symptoms yourself, but you can spread it far and wide. Four, laws blocking state hospitals and universities from requiring vaccinations for employees and students in dormitories to protect state residents. So Arizona has a new law. It prohibits requirements that a person receive a vaccination, except in K through 12 school settings. Oh yeah, the Arizona law also has criminal penalties for violating the ban. What the, mm. I'm just going to say it. I know what I want to say, you know, shut the mm up, but I'm going to say shut the front door, but you get the drift. Five, laws giving unilateral power to legislatures to stop public health action. So in Ohio, there's a new law, and it will allow the legislature alone, only the legislature, to rescind any order or action by the state health department or director of health to control or stop the spread of contagious or infectious disease. So in Ohio, there is a new law. Only the legislature, they're the only ones, but the legislature can rescind any order or action by a state health department or director of health to control or stop the spread of contagious disease. That's insane. Now, the governor of Ohio, of Ohio vetoed the law and issued the following statement, saying that the law, quote, strikes at the heart of local health department's ability to move quickly to protect the public from the most serious emergencies Ohio could face, end quote. Unfortunately, the governor's veto was overridden by the legislature, and the law has already taken effect as of June 23rd. So nacho, then that I know it's a crazy acronym. Okay, it makes makes you hungry. You think about eating nachos, right? But this um, this group of city and county health departments, nacho noted in the report that you know the introduction of these bills did they just come here by osmosis? No. Quote appears to be coordinated in part by Alec, the American Legislative Exchange Council a conservative-leaning organization that develops model bills for state legislatures and whose membership includes one quarter of state legislatures. It goes on, quote, Alec is advocating a slate of policy initiatives and model bills crafted to limit the authority of public health agencies and weaken their ability to protect the public's health. 
many of the bills that have been or will be considered in a majority of states are based on Alex model acts. And the report also added that, quote, in some cases, the legislation uses language that is almost verbatim to Alex model bill, end quote. Not just in some cases, in a lot of cases. Now, according to, um, according to this report, you know, put out by MedPage, um, Alec was asked to comment, and an Alec spokesman emailed the following response. Quote, the NACHA report is incorrect in its assertion. Alec does not have model bills or any public policy initiatives crafted to limit the authority of public health agencies. The quote goes on to say, quote, in fact, Alec has no public health model policy of any sort on COVID-19. As a 501c3, we don't advocate policy. We have, however, empowered legislatures with fact-based CDC information, discussions on vaccine safety, and touchless travel innovation. And then the spokesman gave a link to Alex model policy database. And that's at www.alec.org under model policy. Well, you're going to find out later in the report that the Alex spokesman lied. We haven't gotten to that part of the report yet, but you'll find out. Okay. Let's move on. So now this piece uh, quoted uh, Dr. George Benjamin, MD. Dr. Benjamin is the executive director of the American Public Health Association. And he was really upset by these laws that are coming from this bill mill. To quote Dr. Benjamin, quote, we've been looking at what one needs to do about this because this is a big issue. Governmental public health is the only entity in the community that has legal authority to protect your health. The fact that this legal authority is being attacked, which we believe are for reasons that are unacceptable, concerns us. Dr. Benjamin was End quote. Dr. Benjamin was asked why he thinks these laws are being passed, and he responded, quote, we think they don't understand what they're doing in their zeal to rein in things. It's like telling a bunch of doctors, we don't like the fact that you take out appendixes, so we're going to take away your authority to do surgeries. It's like going to a fire chief and saying, hey, we don't want you to have authority to do inspections or close down a venue because it's a fire hazard. They're taking away core authorities that public health needs to do its work and undermining the work of government employees who are just doing their job, end quote. That's according to Dr. Benjamin. Um, and when it comes to public health emergencies, Dr. Benjamin added the following, quote, you don't run an emergency by committee. It doesn't work that way. That's why the fire department and the police department have a chain of command. If you undermine those efforts, you're going to find that people won't have the authority they need and bad things will happen, end quote. I'd say that pretty much does it. Now, the NACHA report is pretty long. And um, I think right now we're going to skip it. We'll talk about it another time. There is another piece from Huffington Post. And this was written in February of 21. And it was written by Travis Waldron. The headline is, 
a powerful conservative coalition is fueling the state-level push to hamper COVID-19 restrictions. ALEC and other groups have fomented anti-lockdown protests are now pushing bills to curb the powers governors have used to fight the coronavirus pandemic. So this piece is directly stating, yes, ALEC is behind it. Okay. Um, We're going to move ahead here. So ALEC um, started targeting pandemic powers of various government governors, that is, as early as last summer. And that's according to Exposed by Center by CMD. And CMD is the Center for Media Democracy. And this is when ALEC drafted its first model bill. Uh, and this was in conjunction, this is in 2020 then, when Trump and some other members of the GOP were, you know, really having hissy fits over pandemic restrictions. Now, keep in mind, the pandemic restrictions became more severe because Donald Trump chose to withhold the truth about COVID. He knew early on, as exposed by um, taped interviews with Bob Woodward, he knew by his own admission that COVID was not only deadly, it was airborne. And his reason for withholding that very important information is he didn't want people to panic. Well, you know what? I don't care what his reason was. When he withheld that information, that was reckless endangerment, legally speaking. And he put a lot of people in danger. Had people known early on that this was airborne, we might have saved several hundred thousand people. All right. But let's go on. So Alec was aiding and abetting Trump and his GOP cronies. And since that, since the summer of 20, Republican lawmakers in at least nine states, um, you know, have introduced legislation that basically is modeled on, Air, on Alex's proposal. And as I said before, in some cases, I'd say more than some, the, the legislation is a virtual duplicate of the language in Alex's model bill. And those states that started this out were Arizona, Idaho, Kentucky, Montana, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Utah, Virginia, and Washington. Now, some eight months ago, uh, since then, Missouri's been added to the list. And the bill that became law in Missouri is virtually identical to the model bill, okay, which was basically um, banning masking in public. Banning masking mandates, that is. So let's move on. Um, Again, a quote from Dr. George Benjamin, who is, as we said before, the executive director of the American Public Health Association. Um, He's quoted, this was in February 21, quote, it appears that we're just getting ahead of the disease for the first time. The biggest mistake policymakers can make is changing the policy before we've won the war. Pulling up and retreating when you have the enemy on the run will be a bad, bad strategy. At the end of the day, what they're doing is setting up a situation where more people will die, end quote. And, you know, again, Alec has been the instigator behind all of this. All right? You have big business that did not want businesses to shut down, 
did not want mask mandates, I suppose, thinking that it would cut down on business. They put their profits ahead of people's lives. And so Coke Industries, the Bradley Foundation, these are groups that gave money to Alec, especially Coke. And then the lawyers of Alec write these model bills, have their retreats, and voila, we have all these bills that look identical. You know, here in Missouri, we have the attorney general that's suing local school districts in a class action suit because he wants to ban mask mandates in public schools. Sound familiar, Florida? It's familiar because it's the same thing. All right. So there, Alex's paw prints are all over all of this. Okay. Um, and we talked about these different bills, and Alec did provide the language. The bills almost universally, I'm going to make this bigger, I'm having trouble seeing it, adapt, um, you know, well, so let me back up here, okay, because this bill, this particular story focuses on a lot of different um, bills. So HuffPost analyzed all nine states and the bills that were adopted um, all these bills adopted a major proposal from Alex's draft legislation, and that was, quote, a specific time limit on states of emergency declared by governors alone. Alex's model suggests the limit should be 30 days, after which governors would have to seek legislative approval to extend an emergency declaration, end quote. And that's exactly what we have here in Missouri. All right, Governor Parsons, you know, pushed, he, he signed off on it. The bill that passed here in Missouri was actually sponsored by um, the Speaker Pro Tem, John Weeman, and then it went through both houses and then Parsons signed off on it. Um, and the ironic part is that Mr. Weeman, when he's not in the Missouri legislature, he sells malpractice insurance to doctors and hospitals. Isn't that convenient? Oh, and and he has a master's degree in health, health administration, so he has to know better, but they don't care. Um, so let's move on here, okay? Uh, for that particular restricting public emergency declaration, Alec provided the language, okay? Um, and it was meant to keep governors from working their way around the new restrictions. There's a provision that prevents governors from issuing new orders that are, quote, substantially similar to the one that expired unless legislators approve them. Um, and the bills that were pushed in Kentucky and Pennsylvania have almost identical language to that, you know, that draft legislation as well as bills in Montana, Arizona, and Washington. The, um, you know, so this is what's happening here. Uh, again, the Alex spokesperson wouldn't respond to a comment or answer questions from HuffPost. Now, we've all seen these, these protests pop up all over the country, too. You know, the Save Our Country Coalition, right? Uh, this particular HuffPost writer called them astroturfed protests. Um, Last May in 2020, Alec began circulating model legislation that would also protect businesses 
from any liabilities that were related to the pandemic, and that's as documented in Bloomberg, BloombergLaw.com. And that also was basically a copy of what Mitch McConnell was pushing at the federal level. Alec, by then, had joined FreedomWorks, which is, again, bankrolled by the Kochs, Tea Party Patriots, bankrolled through different foundations by the Kochs, and other groups, conservative groups, to form the Save Our Country Coalition. Now, the Save Our Country Coalition, they aim to, quote, educate and inform elected officials and policymakers at all levels of government in an effort to bring about a quick, safe, and responsible reopening of U.S. society, end quote. I'd like to know how in the hell they're going to do that. You know, again, the lawyers of ALEC, especially Mr. Schwartz and Mr. Barron, are they licensed physicians? No. Are they scientists? No. Are the people that are giving the money these groups licensed physicians or scientists? No. Are they epidemiologists? No. But somehow these attorneys know more than the actual physicians and scientists, and they're going to magically decide how we're going to reopen safely with no mitigation strategies unless you feel like doing it. That's not how mitigation for infectious disease works. That's not how vaccinations work. If we don't get enough people to voluntarily vaccinate to achieve herd immunity through vaccination, then there will be more mutant strains that will evade the vaccine. We already have one in 47 states right now, the Mu variant. We don't know if it's as dangerous as Delta, but it is able to evade the vaccines. Mitigation strategies don't work effectively unless you have practically 100% compliance. It doesn't happen because some overpaid lawyer writes it down and says, make it so. So tired of this. So according to the HuffPost article, who's to blame? Well, there's some people that helped push this. Arthur Laffer, L-A-F-F-E-R is one. He is an arch-conservative economist and also former Club for Growth leader Stephen Moore. Now, they were two of the loudest champions for lifting COVID restrictions and immediately reopened the economy. I would love to see families of loved ones that perished sue those two men and sue the attorneys of Shook, Hardy, and Bacon connected with Alec and sue Alec. I would love to see this happen. Because what they've done is they have promoted a fraud. The idea that you don't have to use, if you want to mitigate the effects of an infectious disease, it's your personal choice. No, it's not. That's not even in rule of law. You know, the feds have clearly said before in earlier cases that no one has the right to infect others. You just don't. And once this baby went airborne, no, it was not your right to decide whether or not you wanted to mask. Because then you've decided, when you decide not to mask and it's airborne, you've decided that maybe you're a carrier and you've decided that you have a right to kill others. How does that fix, fit in with your right to life? I know this sounds really hostile, but I'm, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of people that are 
the age of adults behaving like children. You are being used 1%. You are being used by big corporate and their corporate attorneys. You're being used by the billionaire class because, God forbid, they should lose just a penny of profit. Just a penny. In this war against COVID, which is a killer, you are nothing more than cannon fodder. They view you as that stupid. What is it going to take to get through to some of you people? Again, my tirade, but I'm so tired of this. I am so tired of the stupidity that I see exercised on a daily basis coming from the anti-vax and anti-mask crowd and the selfishness. I am so tired of politicians that pander to them like Ron DeSantis and Missouri AG Eric Schmidt who know that the path they're pushing will result in many deaths, including deaths of children. They don't care. It's all about their own political advancement and nothing else. You are acceptable collateral damage. Wake up. Smell the coffee, people. The doctors and the nurses are exhausted. And now we see ignorant members of the public attacking doctors and nurses that are trying to save their lives. Grow up. Grow the F up already. Any politician that wants to appear on this program, fine. Let's throw down. I mean, metaphorically speaking, this is all done virtually. I know that conservatives are really touchy about anybody hurting their widow feelings. Let's move on. This coalition, this Save Our Country coalition, has incited protests against restrictions. And these protests have become super spreader events. Okay? And this was a, these were the protests you saw on state capitals nationwide. New York Times reported back in April um, that the staff at Freedom Works specifically focused on pushing this effort. Now, these demonstrations don't reflect the majority of people, but they provide cover for GOP politicians that know they're doing the wrong thing. And to quote from this HuffPost article, quote, Save Our Country was, in essence, Tea Party 2.0 Pandemic Edition, a push to advance business-friendly conservative priorities by pretending They reflect the major concerns of the crisis-stricken masses. Early in the pandemic, Laffer and Moore revived conservative tropes about government assistance making people lazy to argue against Congress's initial economic assistance package, end quote. Alec hosted a panel discussing what they call outdated emergency management, okay? And that was reported by the Center for Media and Democracy, okay? This is, Alex's paw prints are all over here. Okay, this isn't about whether you're a a progressive 
or a conservative. This is about the fact that public health is being attacked. Okay, the virus doesn't discriminate. Our hospitals are filled with ultra-conservatives that claim they had an immune system, they didn't get a vaccine, they wouldn't mask, and just before they're intubated, they are, they are, their last words are, I thought it was a hoax, and then they're begging and crying like babies for a vaccine. And unfortunately, then it's too late. What is it going to take to wake you people up? You are being used. Let's move on. Okay. We're going to this piece now, Exposed by CMD. <clears throat> CMD is the Center for Media and Democracy. And they do phenomenal work. And the headline is, Alec Exploits Pandemic to Push Right-Wing Policy Goals at Annual Meeting. This was written by one of their top people, David Armiak. This was published July 16, 2020. And the reason I mentioned the date, because this just shows how premeditated all of this was on Alec's part. So back in July of 2020, Alec was having, going to have its annual meeting, and they were going to do it um, in Orlando, Florida. But they canceled last minute because of surging COVID cases, and they held it virtual. My, isn't that nice? Apparently, the lawyers of Alec don't want to actually, um, they'll, they'll talk the talk, they won't walk the walk, because they know that if they do that, it's akin to walking the plank off a ship into shark-infested waters. And in this instance, the shark-infested waters are basically dying from COVID. Now, keep in mind, as of July 2020, uh, CMD documented that at that point over 140,000 lives had been lost due to COVID. Now in September of 2021, over 600,000 Americans have died from COVID, this hoax. Okay. So back in June, June 26th of 2020, you know, Alec was going to have their, again, their meeting in, in Orlando. But then they tweeted that, quote, legislators won't take a sick day and, quote, that the world needs constructive solutions to problems that can't be quarantined. So they're having it, they're, well, I take that back. They didn't have it virtually. Um, they were having it, but not in Florida. So I stand corrected. My bad. I, I need new glasses, so my bad. Um, so they were having it elsewhere. The group also planned, um, they did provide people in attendance with PPE, knowing full well that these people weren't going to use it. But they also told them, quote, by registering for the event, you are accepting attendance at your own risk, end quote. Now, doesn't that sound like a nice legal disclaimer, taking your own risk? Doesn't that sound like a group who, does it sound like Alec believes the lies they spew? No, of course not. They issued that disclaimer so they couldn't be sued for the fraud that they have incited. And it is fraud. People keep calling it misinformation. Like, oops, we made a mistake. We meant to tell you the truth, but it wasn't was a mistake. Stop calling it misinformation. 
just call it what it is. They're lies, and it's a fraud. Alec has basically incited a massive fraud that has contributed to the death toll from COVID in the U.S. They have aided and abetted what can only be called a genocide caused by reckless endangerment. That's it. So stop calling it misinformation. And when they make that that little disclaimer, by registering for the event, you're accepting attendance at your own risk. That is an admission of guilt. Essentially, they know, they're basically saying, we know we could be sued, so we're putting that in because we know we're not telling the truth. Okay, so then apparently, okay, let me backtrack here. And I do apologize. Like I said, I need new glasses. I'm blind as a bat. Okay, so Alec was planning on having this conference in Orlando. They planned to give PPE. They issued that um, disclaimer. But then at the last minute, they just threw in the towel and they went virtual. Okay? And they did so after their national chairman, Speaker Philip Gunn, Republican of Mississippi, tested positive for COVID. So now CMD explains what ALEC is. Quote, ALEC is a pay-to-play, let me start again. Quote, ALEC is a pay-to-play operation where legislators and corporate lobbyists meet behind closed doors to adopt model legislation on a broad range of public policy issues. Now, there were several confirmed speakers. Newt Gingrich, U.S. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia, Governor Pete Ricketts, Republican Nebraska. Governor Kim Reynolds, Republican, uh, looks like Iowa. And, oh, yeah, my governor, Mike Parsons of Missouri, the little idiot himself, and he is an idiot. As well as Brooke Rollins, who then was the assistant to the U.S. President for Strategic Initiatives, and there were others. Now, Alex played a major role in this right-wing movement to reopen the economy. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and this happened right after the stay-at-home orders were first issued. Alex's CEO is a woman named Lisa Nelson, and she joined the Bradley-funded Save Our Country Coalition, um, as documented by CMD, exposed by CMD. That Save Our Country Coalition was chaired also by Alex's econ- favorite economist, Art Laffer, to, quote, reopen U.S. society and preserve the American way of life. End quote. Now, there were other Alec ties to the Save Our Country group. Um, Stephen Moore, Minnesota, and Minnesota State Senator, and Alec co-chair Mary Kiffmeyer. Uh, Linda Upmeyer, former Speaker of the Iowa State House. Uh, looks like Alec organized a sign-on letter, as documented by Alec themselves, alec.org, that was sent to Trump and state leaders urging them to reopen the economy, okay? Keep in mind, this piece was written July of 2020. That when you're doing that, that doesn't sound like people that don't have their paw prints dirty. There were webinars with Vice, then Vice President Mike Pence, uh, Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, 
and others, and it was all on reopening in the spring of 21. Okay. Alex pushed one of their model bills to fast-track reopening. Okay. And that's as documented again by Alex. This bill would, quote, limit liability for businesses following health and safety regulations or guidelines designed to protect employees and customers against the virus. Alex Staffer, Ronnie Lampert told Bloomberg Law. Okay. That's what, that was from Ronnie Lampert. And that was quoted by Bloomberg Law. There were more model bills written by Alex. There were a number of them, They're all having to do with the pandemic. Keep in mind, they were meeting virtually. See the hypocrisy? They wanted the economy to reopen. They wanted our schools to reopen and ban mask mandates for our school children, but they had their conference virtually. So let's look at some of the model bills. Two measures reveal a push by Alec to strip emergency powers away from governors and hand them over to GOP-controlled legislators. So, one, there was the Emergency Power Reform Act. That was the model bill. And again, you can find it at alec.org. And this, quote, limits the number of days the executive branch's emergency order can remain in effect and bars the reissuing of similar orders. This is July of 2020. Not even a year later, June 15, 2021, one of the... Alex Speakers, Governor Parsons of Missouri, signed a law that limited how long public health, local public health restrictions could be and it barred governments from requiring proof of COVID-19 vaccination to use public facilities and transportation. That's so similar, isn't it? So basically, that bill in Missouri, which is based on the model Alec bill, is basically saying that people who could be COVID carriers, we don't have any right to have them show proof whether or not they've been vaccinated. They can move about in public infecting everybody. All righty. And why did Alec push this? They, they were taking aim at governors in states like Michigan and Wisconsin that issued stay-at-home orders and that used the courts like they did successfully in Wisconsin to overturn them. Now, you also have Alex's draft statement of principles to inform emergency management acts. And that's what they call it. It's the draft statement of principles to inform emergency management acts. What this does is it takes power away from the executive branch and gives it to the state legislature during emergencies. And it says the following, quote, states should reject comprehensive emergency management acts in favor of acts tailored to specific types of emergencies. Emergency powers should last only as long as necessary to secure legislative approval for the emergency response. Again, none of these people are actually physicians or scientists. That's not how emergencies work. So Alec had a work workshop at the convention where these policy ideas were discussed. Um, and it was titled, quote, COVID-19 and Outdated Emergency Management Acts Facilitated Gubernatorial Overreach. And the featured speakers were um, Speaker Philip Gunn, Republican Mississippi, Speaker Robin Vos, Republican Wisconsin, Senate President Karen Fan, Republican Arizona, Senate 
President Stuart Adams, they're all Republicans, Speaker Stephen Hoggard and Speaker Tim Moore. Okay, and I've got their pictures here. So there's more. Just when you thought it couldn't get worse, it did. Alex is using the pandemic to push for greater, wait for it, deregulation. <laughs> Examples of the push to further deregulate everything so the 1% can become even richer and more powerful. And the next thing I'm going to be talking about is the, what I consider to be the keystone to Alex's attack on representative government, a.k.a. the expedited suspension and legal, I'm sorry, the, it's called the Expedited Suspension and Legislative Repeal of Harmful Rules Act. Okay. What this does is it makes it easier for governors, state agencies, and legislators to suspend rules during emergencies for reasons such as the following, reasons such as being, quote, obsolete, two, overly burdensome, or three, no longer enforced. And those terms are so vague, the model bill leaves a lot of room for discretion because what constitutes, how are you going to decide whether or not rules that were enacted, rules that were meant to be enacted, how are you going to, to decide that rules that were supposed to uh, be used during emergency, how are you going to decide whether they're obsolete or burdensome, no longer enforced, just, just saying that you're refusing to enforce them? How are you going to make those decisions? What criterion are they going to use to decide whether or not a rule is obsolete? You know, this is where Alec helps push these model bills that honestly really aren't full laws. I mean, normally a law, when you define certain things, you have to criterion so that you can say, okay, the, the crime of fraud, you have to have the following um, the following actions present in order to charge somebody with, with fraud, for instance. What constitutes something becoming obsolete? What criterion are they using? There isn't any. They write these things overly broad and vague on purpose. Who decides this? It's just based on their whim. That's all. Nothing more. And here's the danger behind this, this particular Harmful Rules Act. Again, this is called the Expedited Suspension and Legislative Repeal of Harmful Rules Act. Theoretically, this, this model bill, if pushed into law, <coughs> could potentially be used to justify removing any regulations that they don't happen to like, whether it's environmental, labor, health, whatever. Okay. And that's exactly what Alec was hunting for, a way to set aside any regulations that big money hates, and that includes established law. So allowing a pandemic to run out of control was exactly the Trojan horse, if you will, the attorneys of ALEC needed. And here's a prime example. It's another act. It's called the Processing Revival and Intrastate Meat Exemption Act. They call it the Prime Act. I call it a return to the days of Sinclair Lewis and his muckraking masterpiece, The Jungle. So basically, this particular resolution to support what they call the Processing Revival and Interstate Meat Exemption Act, the PRIME Act, it would reduce federal regulation, potentially it would reduce federal regulations 
on the sale of meat across state borders. So basically, the Prime Act would theoretically set aside federal regulations on meat sales if the meat travels across borders. That's it. So those are regulations that, in those of you who aren't familiar with Sinclair Lewis and his, his masterpiece, The Jungle, he wrote this book. It's a novel. It was the early 1900s. And it was written as a novel, but it really was considered journalistic in a way. And it covered this worker and how he dealt with the the um, abuses of the meat cutters industry back in the early 1900s. You know, where basically meat that was full of maggots, that was dangerous to eat, was, you know, they'd cover it up with something that looked healthy. And they would sell you anything, and you really took your life in your hands consuming meat. This basically would set aside those laws and take us back to those bad old days where you just hold your breath and pray that that steak you bought at the local grocer is actually safe to cook and eat. And why would they want this? Why would any big business want deregulation? Okay, first of all, let's, you're calling it deregulation, let's call it what it really is. I, I'm tired of these, these pseudonyms, I'm tired of these, 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 these um, this mollycoddling to people that don't believe in rule of law. It's not misinformation, Alec isn't pushing misinformation, they're pushing and inciting fraud. Deregulation isn't about removing some pesky regulations that just are getting in the way. It's about removing rule of law. It's about allowing those with the most money and power to do whatever they bloody well please. And that the consumer and the average American would still have to follow the law, but those with enough money would not. So if you buy a piece of meat and it's got salmonella and they don't have to tell you because they deregulated it and you die, oh well, nothing your family can do about it. That's what deregulation is about. Deregulation is about allowing, it's basically stripping out rule of law and allowing the rich to get away with murder. Nothing more. Ronald Reagan pushed this deregulation nonsense and we need to call it out for the fraud it is. Okay. And again, the pandemic running out of control really is provides the means to try and justify more lawlessness on the part of the 1%, but it's disguised as thinly veiled rule of law, but it's not. Okay. There's more, but we're going to move ahead. Now, not only did the different foundations with Coke money, Coke Industries money, not only did they fund ALEC heavily, as well as the Save Our Country nonsense, but so did the Bradley Foundation. And there's a piece by, from PR Watch by David Armiak again, <coughs> July of 2020. And the Bradley Foundation, the, title, the headline is Bradley Foundation Bankrolled Right Wing reopen effort despite rising coronavirus cases. 
This is truly evil. Keep in mind, other countries like New Zealand and even China, they waited until it was safe to reopen. They have mask mandates. They have vaccine mandates. And they didn't have all the death we did. Let's go on with this article here, Bradley Foundation. So it's Milwaukee-based, the Lind and Harry Bradley Foundation. Major source of funding to right-wing groups has over $850 million in assets. <coughs> Excuse me. They gave grants to Freedom Works, which is the Tea Party, and the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce Foundation this year to specifically assist with their efforts to rapidly reopen the economy in the middle of the COVID pandemic. And that money is behind the pressure, the lobbying and the litigation efforts, uh, as well as, you know, that Bradley money helped fuel that. And then President Trump at the time led many states to roll back the COVID restrictions prematurely and reopen business, and we saw the death count explode. Okay. Keep in mind, now in Florida, as well as some other states like here in Missouri, it's not, it's not enough that they came from work for workers and viewed us as acceptable collateral damage to reopen prematurely, to not have any safety measures. Hell, maybe they didn't want to have to pay for PPE. Maybe they're that cheap. It's a thought. But now they're going for our kids. Now, you know, with Ron DeSantis, with his executive order banning a mask mandate in schools, right, that is, that level of indifference is essentially the definition of evil. I guarantee you he's not going to put his own kids in danger. So Bradley Money's behind this. Um... Save Our Country campaign was launched by Freedom Works and several others, including guess who? Alec. So Save Our Country was launched in April of 2020, <coughs> excuse me, by Freedom Works Foundation, the American Legislative Exchange Council, the Tea Party Patriots, and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. There were some other right-wingers as well, and they're all pushing to reopen quickly. And we know what happened. The death toll exploded. So, um, and again, they're pushing this misinformation. But again, let's say what it is. These groups are pushing and inciting what is a criminal fraud that is resulting in many more deaths. Okay? It's reckless endangerment. It's aiding and abetting a genocide. Stop calling it misinformation. Okay. So Save Our Country, they switched their slogan um, to reopen society instead of reopen the economy because their polling showed it looked better. Um, This article also said, PR Watch said, Alec played a major role in this right-wing campaign. Um, they organized the sign-on letter urging Trump and state leaders to reopen. They hosted calls with Vice President Pence, Labor Secretary Scalia, Education Secretary DeVos, and others from the Trump administration. 
Um, to date, Alec received $500,000 as of July 2020 from the Bradley Foundation for what they call program activities. Okay. Um, and it just goes on, okay. There are some other Save Our Country Coalition members that also received Bradley money in 2020. In addition to Freedom Works Foundation and ALEC, also the Council for National Policy, the First Liberty Institute, and the National Review Institute. Um, and the National Review Institute was to, quote, support the Buckley Legacy Project and the Thomas L. Rhodes Journal Journalism Fellowship. You know, again, that's all that, again, they call it scholarship, but here's the thing. When you claim that it's scholarship, whether it's Buckley or anyone else, and it's based on a premise that is a lie, then it's not scholarship. It's propaganda. So, again, we're going through this, and I'm going to skip ahead here. Okay. So, so again, there's another report here from Center for Media and Democracy by David Armiak. And some of the things it says here um, that Alex attempting to, quote, use the national crisis to leverage movement on its pro-corporate policy agenda. And they, they specified a sign-on letter um, that, quote, the, the sign-on letter they sent um, to the Trump administration states that, in, as they call it, in Alec fashion, quote, that a proven formula of tax relief, deregulation, and lawsuit reform, end quote, are keys to rebuilding the economy. Okay, translation. Lawsuit reform means tort reform. What they're really saying is making it virtually impossible for anyone other than a one percenter or a corporation to sue for damages. Um, and again, when they're talking about deregulation, they're talking about nullifying rule of law, okay? Tax relief, call it what it is, tax evasion by the rich. So it also says here, according to CMD, that Alec and the Koch Influence Network pushed hard for the 2017 tax giveaway by the Trump administration to corporations and the wealthy. Um, Secretary Mnuchin argued for that. But as of January of 2020, um, it led to a national deficit that is 28% greater than, the than what the Congressional Budget Office projected before the tax cuts. And that source is Forbes.com, hardly a bastion of liberal thought. Um, they go on to say that Alex keeps exploiting the COVID crisis. They put together, quote, a policy prescriptions wish list, uh, their model bills, uh, emails that were obtained through records requests by CMD show that Alec, I'm just reading straight from this now, has been working closely with the Trump administration to convince members that now is the time to reopen. There it is, right there. Right there. Alec can't claim that they had nothing to do with it. Their CEO, Alec CEO Lisa Nelson, wrote an email to legislators um, that Alec hosted a call with Vice President Mike Pence. And Pence once um, said, according to a YouTube video, quote, I can say I was for Alec before it was cool, end quote. Okay. Um, so, you know, once again, Alec's in it up to their eyeballs. 
Now, when the Alex spokesperson said they had nothing to do with any of this, again, the Save Our Country Coalition, Alex CEO Lisa Nelson serves on the National Leadership Council of the Save Our Country Coalition. So how can they say they're not involved? Okay. So the Save Our Country Coalition has keep, they list as quote their quote key principles to abide by in order to reopen U.S. society and preserve the American way of life, end quote. And what they're calling for is immediately reopen the economy, implement best workplace practices to protect the health of our citizens. Notice how vague that is, though. Restore excuse me, essential principles of limited government and fiscal responsibility. Again, lawyers of ALEC love vague statements and vague terms because they can evade accountability that way. They want to incentivize rapid rebuilding of the economy, and their formula is tax cuts, deregulation, and lawsuit reform, like I said before. Preserve federalism. This, this one's funny. Preserve federalism within the rule of law and respect the rights of states in dealing with crises such as the COVID pandemic. Okay. And then five, protect individual liberties of our citizens from unconstitutional power grabs by federal, state, and local governments. Well, you know what? I could call them on that. I think they're, I, I'm against un, unprecedented power grabs. You know, you have it right there in Florida. Your governor grab power away from local school districts to determine whether or not they're going to have mask mandates to protect their children and their children's families. No, it's not single mention of pub, real public health concerns. Coke ties. Again, according to CMD, ALEC is funded by and deeply tied to the Coke political network. In 2018, IRS filing showed Charles Coke gave ALEC $334,000. Okay, and Koch's Americans for Prosperity was a vice chairman sponsor of the 2019 ALEC annual meeting. Okay, and the Koch connections go beyond ALEC. All right, they include Stephen Moore, Freedom Works. This is on the National Leadership Council, and the Koch-funded Heritage Foundation. Okay, Ed Meese of the Heritage Foundation. Keep in mind, Meese is a GOP establishment figure. Bill Walton, the media figure, trustee of the Koch-backed American Enterprise Institute and the Heritage Foundation, and it goes on and on and on. These people can't pretend this isn't mainstream GOP because it is. Save Our Country Steering Committee. I'm going to skip ahead here. Guess who? Ginny Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife. Talk about a conflict of interest. Hate groups that are helping out. There's some far-right extremists that have leadership roles in the Save Our Country Coalition. They include Frank Gaffney, founder of the anti-Muslim hate group of the Center for Security Policies, (coughs) according to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Ken Blackwell, Ohio's former Secretary of State, and he's a, current, he's a senior fellow with the Anti-LGBTQ Hate Group, the Family Research Council, again, according to Southern Poverty Law Center. 
Sandy Rios, Director of Government Affairs of the American Family Association, which is also anti-LGBTQ, Anne Schlafly, Corey. She's the chair of her late mother, Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Forum, serves on the committee. And even though the Eagle Forum is not formally considered a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, it is a religious right organization, and it's associated with anti-LGBTQ, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim hate figures. Okay, so it goes on and on and on. Now, <clears throat> you get the idea, all right? The American Legislative Exchange Council, or ALEC, cannot claim that they are innocent. They are in this up to their eyeballs. This is certainly not the first time that I've reported either in writing and published writings or broadcasting about ALEC, and it won't be the last. They need to be brought to accountability. Let's face it, in conclusion, for too long, the very idea of justice in the United States is a mockery. <coughs> Excuse me. To put it bluntly, you receive as much justice as you can afford. Period. Okay, court cases aren't really decided on the merits. They're decided on how long you can keep an attorney under retainer while the opposition files multiple extensions to run out the clock. That's it. That's what's happened in a lot of big cases. All right, they run up a big bill knowing full well that these corporate entities and these one percenters theoretically don't really have a case on the merits, but they have deep pockets so they can keep running the clock out, knowing full well the opposition will just run out of money and will have to just bow out and lose by default. And it doesn't say much about those attorneys, now does it? Skilled attorneys don't need to use strategies that are just essentially cheats. They can argue the merits, but that's not what this is about. Let's face it, the legal profession has morphed into this giant hydra that controls the show. And the very rich, the 1% corporate, almost always win those court cases. Let's be honest here. And the average American can't afford to pay attorney's fees forever. This isn't rule of law. This is a mockery. Now, I focused on ALEC in this report, and ALEC is spearheaded, as I said at the beginning, by two attorneys from the law firm of Shook, Hardy, and Bacon, and their names are Victor Schwartz and Mark Behrens. We're going to be investigating more and focusing on them because while they have a right to represent clients, and if they're an educational group, they have a right to, quote, educate, but if they're operating as lobbyists, then they need to lose their, their uh, tax-exempt status, for one, and they need to be held accountable. All right? It's just, it's just that simple. You know, it, it was bad enough when it was about deregulation so that big corporate didn't have to pay for any safety measures. But this is the middle of a pandemic. This time around, they have gone for the jugular. Not only are they endangering the overall public with these lies about the pandemic, they're coming for our children. They're coming for our babies in public school, period. And that's a special kind of evil. 
justice. And let's get back to this. When it comes to Alec, when it comes to attorneys, like the attorneys like Victor Schwartz and Mark Barron's, let's stop giving soft names to what are, what are essentially ethical crimes, if nothing else. It may not be legal crimes, but they're certainly unethical. You know, when people pass information that they know is a lie, don't call it misinformation. Call it what it is, a lie. When there is a premeditated plan to push a series of lies in order to obtain the, the societal effect you want, then don't call it misinformation. And don't call, don't call it, call it what it is. Premeditated fraud, premeditated fraud that has resulted in not only a pattern of reckless endangerment, but has resulted in some 600,000 negligent homicides of Americans in a year and a half time. Call it what it is. I'm serious. I'm tired of this. I am so tired of this. And people, those of you that think your liberties are being endangered because you don't want to wear a little piece of cloth on your face, there's a special kind of selfishness for that. Newsflash, no, you don't have the legal right to possibly infect others. You just don't. And there are some very old Supreme Court rulings that say otherwise. One in 1905 and one in 1935. We're going to be talking about that in another show. But your rights don't extend to hurting other people. Once this thing went airborne, that was it. You know the old saying, your right to swing your arm stops prior to hitting someone else? That's what we're talking about. You know, if we were talking about AIDS, for instance, instead of COVID, there most of you would agree that if somebody knowingly has AIDS and they have and they have unprotected sex and they don't tell their partners, so the partner doesn't have any chance to make an informed decision one way or another, we pretty much agree that that is murder. But that other person, they can still decide not to have unprotected sex. But when you talk about an airborne pathogen, we all breathe air. You don't have a choice not to breathe. So no, no Johnny and no Karen. I'm saying no to all the COVID tens and the COVID Karens. No, you do not have a right to infect others because like a two-year-old with a crappy shit-filled diaper, you don't want to wear a mask and you don't want to vaccinate. Grow up. The person that winds up dying from your reckless behavior could be someone you love. And then it's going to be on your conscience providing you have one. I know I've been combative this time, but I am so tired of this. We're going to be focusing more in depth on ALEC and on the lawyers of ALEC and holding them accountable. So hopefully in a few weeks, Brooke will be back. We all miss her. Um, tune in again to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show, where we have our news story, and then we have our justice report. <coughs> Excuse me. And then on Thursdays, tune in 
to my show, The Environmental Justice Report, with me, Janine Mawa. Um, keep in mind that our shows on Progressive News Network are all uh, archived as well, so you can download them at your leisure. And um, we're going to keep fighting the good fight. We're going to keep fighting the good fight, talking about the stories and the details of the stories that mainstream media is either too bought off or too cowardly to talk about. Okay, because that's what we're supposed to do. You know, this week, the Jewish New Year starts, the days of all, Rosh Hashanah, and then Yom Kippur. And I'm not really what you call religious. But I'd like to think that speaking truth to power on these shows and through my writing is a one way of respecting those days of all, respecting that, that day of atonement and the idea that we are supposed to be our brother and sister's keeper. And with that, I say, Lashana Tova, Happy New Year, and good night, and God bless. <laughs>